it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast mwr.com is the website if you haven't been there hey go check it out go read all of our stuff we have on there got matt joining myself jeremy today we're doing our two of 12 second preview of the 2022 season well or wyoming cowboys was last week or last show see matt i shouldn't say last week i should say go listen to wyoming or go listen to team x as we go along because you could listen people could be listening to this on august 26th the day before the season and listen to all 12 previews right exactly which would be cool if you do that, download, listen. This week we're doing the Hawaii Warriors where there's – is a lot too small of a word to uh, put into perspective what we're going to discuss today for Hawaii from what happened from end of season to date. There's a lot, right? And that might not be enough to do oh, yeah. justice. Yeah, and especially since the first thing we typically do on these team preview podcasts is, is do sort of a brief look back to last year. And sort of like the Cowboys, like we talked about in our first preview, like when you look at the aggregate, you know, Hawaii finished six and seven last year. They were three and five in the Mountain West. You know, they would have played in a bowl game had it not been canceled. And on their end, we should note. Yeah. And and so, you know, on the aggregate, like their numbers were not terrible. Like you know, they were they were like in a lot of different respects, both by traditional metrics and you know, some of the more advanced metrics that I personally favor. They were you know, slightly below 
the national average in a lot of respects. Like, you know, they were 86th in, in SP plus, you know, 82nd on offense, 98th on defense. So like, not like abysmal on either side of the ball, but not like great on either side of the ball. And that sort of bore itself out too. in the fact that they were 89th in, in net points per drive as well, you know, 90th in available yards percentage. So like the, and you know, from week to week, you were never totally sure which team was going to show up because, you know, one week they would go out and they would have a bunch of turnovers and they would beat Fresno state. And then the next week or two weeks later, you know, they'd get blown out by Utah state or something like that. So like they definitely had some highs, but they had some lows too. Like, you know, if, if you were a Warriors fan who thought that, you know, this team last year would, would beat the Bulldogs and then like, you know, a few weeks later lose to UNLV, raise your hand. Um, I, I mean, Nobody. I would think that you're lying if you raise your hand, but like that was sort of, you know, the, 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 the season that they had, you know, I think they had exactly one win against a team with a winning record. And that was in their finale against coincidentally enough, Wyoming, who we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of that being said, you know, it's, it's, they were definitely not the most consistent team in the mountain West, you know, but they were still in a position to play in a postseason game. And then, you know, we've talked about it at length in, in, in previous podcasts, you know, the, the early off season drama, um, you know, the allegations about, you know, Todd Graham and the and Dr. The, Pepper, where's my Dr. Pepper, Matt. That's what Todd Graham was concerned about. I want Dr. Pepper. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't necessarily need to rehash it in all the gory detail. If you want to, of course, you know, we have a podcast. We talked with Mark DeLuke who wrote the article for sfgate.com, who expanded upon, you know, some of the original allegations that the players are putting forth. Long story short, Todd Graham is out. Timmy Chang is in. Lots of, uh, lots of players out too. Lots of players wow. out as well. Uh, as a result of, of things sort of blowing up off the field, you know, the, it, it got so bad that the state Senate got involved, which, you know, that never happens anywhere else in college football, I'm sure, <laughs> or, or very rarely in college football. They do get legislative bodies you know, weighing in on whatever is going on within, a, you know, a state's, you know, flagship football program. And so, you know, now... Is, that was worth it. I think that was worth it, though, because of what they discovered and what they discussed about budgetary things. I think it was one of the few times. It's not Oklahoma with Bob Stoop saying, he like, Lincoln Riley didn't event Sooner football or whatever. I think this was legitimate concerns and actually came to oh, yeah. be of pr- productive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not to make light of any of the things that came out. Like there were some very serious, you know, mm-hmm. like player health concerns and things like that. Um, but, you know, but long story short, we're recording this now on, on May 29th and, mm-hmm. you know, coming into this, you know, coming into 2022, Wyoming or not, not Wyoming, Hawaii is quite literally starting from scratch in a lot of respects you know, Bill Connolly updated his uh, his returning production values, you know, for, you know, preseason uh, teams. Uh, and Hawaii is tied for last in the FBS. They're returning 28% of last year's production total on both sides of the ball. And in terms of preseason SP+, plus, you know, the most recent adjustments that he came up with about a week ago, I think at this point, has them at 121st nationally. Which is not to say that, you know, they're doomed to start with a year zero situation right away. I think as we're going to talk about, you know, they've, you know, for as much as they lost on the transfer portal in the, in the early part of the offseason, they've slowly, you know, sort of gotten some of that back. You know, they've, they've invested heavily, I think, in, in, you know, finding the local athletes with a willingness to return to the islands. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to project exactly 
you know, if they're going to be the same caliber of thorn in the side that they've been in, in, in most recent years. And I would say, including last year too, but I, I would say if nothing else, just sort of based on what the team looks like on paper right now, it's, it's definitely a pretty interesting for, for year one and Timmy Chang and the rest of that coaching staff. It will be. And it will get the players lost and brought in. Cause there's been quite a few after, like quarterbacks, running backs, and even here they had some injury issues as well. Then, but I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough first year or two. But here's what they're going from. I because I joined Bobby Curran recently. I guess recently middle of May. I guess you're listening mm-hmm. to this about what Hawaii football and everything and what he brings is what there was two choices. June Jones was probably would have been the better choice with Chang a success for a couple of years, but it was either either hire people and jo- would have. Love, I think I'm. I don't think it's understanding that they enjoy having Timmy Chang or June Jones, and I hope they understand with Timmy Timmy Chang, it's going to take a touch longer than it had to be with June Jones, just because the experience factor and what June Jones has just been around doing SMU, Hawaii yeah. before, obviously those well, type of things. And but and with regards, they like to hire that helps enthusiasm will help, but also it's a problem where they play their games. They're expanding to the complex to what nine thousand or something, not very many, and that's going to be. It's going, to, it's going to be tough to build, recruit, and stuff like that when you can only sell that many tickets. Yeah, and, and but I would say, too, like, you know, Timmy Chang, of course, is the headliner because he's the new head coach. But I would say, you know, the other reason that I think this team is going to be really interesting is the coaching staff that he put around him as well. You know, they brought in, you know, Thomas Sheffield to be, the, you know, his sort of like second in command, I guess you would say, the associate head coach, uh, also, the, you know, special teams coordinator who – Interestingly enough, also came from Nevada. You know, he was with the Wolfpack for the last couple of years. Um, and then I would say it's it's maybe most valuable that they were able to retain some of the uh, the holdovers, uh, not only from Graham's staff, but I believe from Nick Rolovich's staff before that. You know, Abe Elamimian is still there. Uh, you know, he's coaching cornerbacks, and they elevated Jacob Yoro to be the new defensive coordinator. And then on top of all that, they also managed to bring in Ian Shoemaker from Eastern Washington who, you know, if, if you don't watch a lot of FCS football, long story short, the Eagles up there in, and I think they play in Cheney, Washington, they've long been one of that level's top offenses. And so, you know, all of that together, you know, as well as, you know, the, a lot of the new personnel that they brought in, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how, how much they can avoid a year zero situation, because I think, you know, if you were having this conversation in January, we'd think like, oh my God, okay, they're starting from the bottom and, 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 and who knows, like it's, it, it might be a disaster and you're one and Timmy Chang is going to need time. But, you know, yeah, now, now know. we're, now we're sitting here in late May and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think they could be in a position where like, you know, they're, they're not a team without their, without its flaws, which we'll talk more about as we get into this, but they're definitely the same kind of team that could steal a win or two. Uh, or, or three against you know unsuspecting opponents that may not be uh, expecting it. Here's what I think. We'll we'll obviously get the schedule later, but they're outside of Michigan. Their non-conference schedule is not very difficult. I know they got Vanderbilt, but it's Vanderbilt and they come to Hawaii. That that may not be a victory, but that's not a game where we're going to walk in and say, oh, they're losing to the number twelve SEC team. They yeah. play West Kentucky. No Billy Zappi. Their offense is still going to be wide open pass, and that will be an interesting game. But they don't have one of the best quarterbacks in college football. They host Duquesne, FCS team. They go to Las Cruces to play New Mexico State, who's really, really bad. They legitimately – I don't know if I'm going to pick this or spoil, but I would I would not be shocked. This not, would you be shocked if they're 4-1 and one in non-conference play? 
would that be would that be out of this world crazy to say they do that? I don't know if that's the case. They may win two, but I wouldn't. Out of all those games, the only one I'd say for hundred percent they're not winning is that Michigan. All the the other four, I'd give them a shot. I think it depends. I think if that's going to happen, we'll talk more about the schedule in mm-hmm. depth later. But I think if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because their offense hits the ground running. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that starts at the quarterback position because, you know, yes, losing Siobhan Cordero as a multi-year starter is is going to sting a little bit. But, you know, they've got at least two guys in, in Braden Shager and Cameron Cooper who you know, might be able to step in and, and be, you know, uh, at least, I don't know, 70, 75, 80% of what Cordero was in their first full years as a starter. And I think it's worth noting that, you know, Shager was a little bit shaky, you know, in the limited action that he saw last year. I think he made three starts. Um, you know, the first one against Fresno State was a little bit rough. Um, you know, it was definitely the defense that led the way in that game in, in that upset victory. Um, and then he was definitely, you know, had a rough outing the following week against Nevada. But then again, you know, he went and he played New Mexico State, which, you know, New Mexico State, not a great defense, but it was, yeah, nice. but it was far and away, but it was far and away his best performance. And I think, you know, if you're looking for sort of a template of, of where to maybe start setting your expectations, it's, you know, can one of these quarterbacks beat up, you know, a, a suspect defense in front of them? And if, and if Shaker is as good as he looked in that game against the Aggies last year, then I think that that bodes well for their chances in, in a lot of games this year. But I, it's it's hard to say that with a lot of certainty right now, just because that quarterback competition is still open. Like Shaker probably has the inside track, but Cooper, lean, you know, I'd lean him getting it though, right? That makes yeah, sense. but yeah, but Cooper, you know, saw some limited action. He saw some garbage time reps over the last couple of years at Washington State, and he looked pretty well in, in the live action that he saw. I think he completed about 60, 65% of his passes, you know, didn't look overwhelmed in those situations. And then, you know, they had other guys who played pretty well in the spring game, like Jake Farrell as a sophomore, you know, maybe he has an outside chance at the job. And then, oh, by the way, they also brought in Joey Yellen recently from Pitt as well. You know, he's seen, you know, some playing time over the last couple of seasons as well at, at both the Arizona state and with the Panthers. And so mm-hmm. I don't know that the that the comp, that the competition maybe is as wide open as all four of those names. I think it is probably Shager and then Cooper and then everybody else. But I think it will be interesting to see like how that decision is made because when you look at the offense that Shoemaker ran at Eastern Washington, and when you look at the quarterback that they had over the last couple of years, Eric Barrier, who you know if you're a Mountain yeah. West fan, you might remember their game last year against uh, UNLV. Um, and, but, you know, Barrier was a guy, I think it was two years ago, he was the Walter Payton Player of the Year winner. Um, you know, they were, it was an offense that was not afraid to be passed first and second and third. Um, but they had, I believe they had like a 900 yard or a thousand yard rusher as well. And it wasn't simply, you know, go four wide, five wide all the time and just chuck it all around the field. Like, you know, they had, you know, tight ends line up as like in as H backs, you know, they ran a lot of, you know, draw plays. They, would you know keep the running backs in the block while giving Barrier the time to roll out and things like that? And I'm not sure that there is anybody on the Hawaii roster right now that has that same kind of athleticism. I suspect that Shager probably could do that if he was asked to, because when you go back to his high school years, like he he wasn't like a huge runner out there for his Texas program, 
but you know, he ran, I think for like 250, 300 yards and nine touchdowns in his senior year. So like he's capable of being mobile. And I think that maybe gives him an, a leg up on Cooper, who is definitely more of like a, a statuesque type guy, more of a, maybe a Carson Strong-esque type passer, not to, not to compare him to Carson Strong. Um, but, you know, he's like, what, 6'4 and 240 or something like that. So I don't think he's necessarily going to be the guy to you know, extend a lot of plays in the same way that Shager or someone else on that roster might be able to. And so, you know, obviously, you know, they don't necessarily want to fall into a quarterback carousel, but if one guy, and I would suspect it'll probably be Shaker, if one guy can step up and really seize the role in fall camp and, and grow together with the rest of that offense, then I think, like I said, it's going to be the offense in the passing game in particular that is going to funnel, I think, whatever the ceilings team or what this team's ceiling is likely to be this year. Yeah. Well, there's opportunities out there and, this team, I guess we're still diving street offense, everything going through, but I, it, it's good, like we mentioned, offense, you mentioned going through quarterbacks, all those type of things matter. It's, I don't want to say, I'm still, with all the players lost, that's a big problem for me. Like overall, what we're getting to of what they're, it's a scheduling thing, it's the environment thing, it's who's going to be quarterback. I think it's going to be Schrager there, but what, Let's, we're kind of jumping around, but should we get to who they lost? Is that an important aspect to start before we kind of really get back into all this to know who's not the team? I mean, I, th- I think it, I think it's something, I mean, it's, it's a common thread to basically every position. And so I think we could, we could talk about it as okay. we, as we go through it, because I think it's also important to, to keep in mind, like who they have coming back too. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Obviously. maybe, maybe the, the best example of that, if we want to turn our attention to running back real quick mm-hmm. Is you know yes they Park, they do Parsons. lose yeah they do lose Day Day Hunter, but Calvin. Dedrick Parson is back and, and you, know, you mentioned you know Calvin Turner Jr. He's also gone to the NFL, mm-hmm. but Parson is is like when you look back at what he actually accomplished with you know sort of a limited workload last year. True. Yes, he was one of the best running backs in the conference. His production per attempt or carry, which again, who knows that can carry over if he's going to get. 18 carries a game yeah he only had nine carries per game last year and i think that's, yeah. that's important to keep in mind but you know Still nine carries amount, per game. if he gets 15 16 yeah like 5.3 5. Like yards keeps... per carry eight touchdowns and no by the way he's pretty adept at catching passes out of the backfield too which i have to imagine that that shoemaker and chang are going to take oh, yeah. huge advantage of i think if i remember correctly the only running back in the conference who had more catches than he did last year uh, there were two of them, Toa Tawa and Ronnie Rivers. Uh, Parson had 28 catches for 279. So he's basically averaging 10 yards of catch out of the backfield, which, you know, is neck and neck with, with, you know, someone like Rivers, who we were talking about for the past two or three years is maybe the best all around running back, back in the yeah. conference. May, I, I think it's probably safe to say that that mantle falls to Parson now. And I, and I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I know I've written it before, but it's worth keeping in mind that, you know, whether you want to ignore snap minimums or not, he was this, and by pro football focus, he was the second highest graded running back in the conference last year, 84.5. And so he basically didn't have any weak spots. And, and the, the biggest question remaining is, you know, how much of a bigger workload is he going to take on now that, that Hunter and, and Turner. Turner Jr. are both gone? Do you and, think is 80%, like say he gets, what did you say he's at? 
nine carries a game without he's getting that. Yeah. So let's let's say he let's say he not necessarily doubles his workload, but let's 16? say he goes to like uh, 15, 16 carries per game. Then the question becomes, you know, this is, I mean, they're, they're probably going to have a much different run pass ratio than they did last year too. Um, is it going to look more like it did back in like, let's say 2018, for example, where, mm-hmm. you know, they, they didn't necessarily have a, a workhorse back. You know, I think it was the year where uh, they had three different players, you know, Col- including quarterback Cole McDonald, um, who actually had the most attempts per game, you know, Fred Holly, the third and Dayton Peruta that year, each had seven carries per game. Is that sort of what they're expecting? And could he keep 80% of his production? If he's at 5.3, if he's at 5.1, but he gets more attempts, is that still good enough? Five, five, I, carries per I game. think that it would be. And I think the, the biggest question after that is, okay, well, who's going to step up and take on the rest of that workload? Yeah, and that debate. that is the big mystery right there because you know they they had some guys who played you know pretty sparingly you know here and there last year like Nas mm-hmm. J Bryant, Dior Scott, but I think you know one big thing that I, I'm not sure exactly how much of a hindrance it might be, but you know when you look at the roster, you know other than Bryant and Parson, there isn't a lot of size at the running back position for the Warriors. You know, there's a lot of smaller guys, you know, like, like Jordan Johnson, redshirt freshman, 5'11", 175 pounds. You know, James Phillips, 5'9", 155 pounds. Um, you know, a lot of guys who might be, uh, not necessarily change of pace backs, but, you know, running backs who are best suited, not necessarily to stand in there for pass protection, but to, you know, to be in there to like go run a route or, you know, do a draw play or, or a zone read or something like that. And so, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, if, if Parson is is running back one, you know, who's going to be that second and third guy who will step up and, and shoulder the rest of that workload? Because if I had to guess, it will probably be someone like Bryant and, and Scott, but I'm not totally sure. And they have a lot of options on the roster to sift through. You know, there are there are guys who could easily step up in and and take on, you know two, three, four carries per game or, or one or two targets per game. You just never know. Uh, and I think a lot of that is going to depend on how often they want to throw the ball versus how often they want to like, you know, keep try and keep defenses honest with like draw plays and zone reads and stuff like that. Yeah. Because when you, the, with the offense, we know, we clearly know they're going to be passing a lot. Yeah. Cause look what Timmy Ching has done with Jane Orville, Nevada. Like they passed the regional about and he played the offense that was the run and shoot, sling the ball like crazy. So we know it's going to be fairly similar to what they've been doing. It might be more passing. I don't know. It's not. Is it? A, I maybe I should notice. Is it a true run and shoot? If they actually just said what that's going to be, is it just going to be kind of wide open? I have not seen. I have not seen anything like that. But let's let's put it this way: like they're going to pass it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to look up exactly. Like let's put it this: a barrier at Eastern Washington last year had 552 pass attempts. And I think they had, I'm trying to remember how many games they had last year. I think it's like 13, 13. games. They did have 13 games because they're six and seven. Yeah. So that is, I'm oh, sorry, East Washington. I apologize. That's a Hawaii. Yeah. 13. Yeah. So that sorry, is 15. roughly, I'm trying to do the math as I talk. That is 42 pass attempts per game. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage... All the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But again, you know, this was, but it was also an offense that had, you know, like a 900,000 yard rusher. So it's not like, you know, Shoemaker and Chang are going to ignore the running game. I'm just really interested in, you know, how much they're willing to put on Parsons plate versus, you know, how much they're going to will try and sort of sift through their options to, to find other guys who can step up and contribute to keep Parsons fresh. Yeah. That's because also think of last year too, how many running backs did you use? Because they had Didi Hunter who left what three games, he got injured then transferred like three games left the season. He had Turner out there. He had Parsons doing what he did. So it's going to be where like, it's hard to without knowing the exact offense, but I think like we mentioned, we know they're going to throw a lot. I would bet the offense might be more similar than last year than we thought mm-hmm. because Chang hasn't been like he remember he was only the wide receiver, not only, but he was never an offensive coordinator, he was a wide receivers coach out there with Jay Norvell. Mm-hmm. So is that to consider? But it's going to be what do you think? More Nevada, more Hawaii when he played? Does he have his own? Which we don't know about that he's been scribbling on plays and napkins when he's done prepping for Nevada versus uh, who, who Mexico one week, you know, I mean, over the past couple of years or facing off against some other random team where he's okay. Like, here's my plays I want to do or see, or was part of the offense for and Nevada was some of that, his stuff like, Hey coach, why don't we maybe try this? Or was he strictly coaching in position? I don't know. And so it's not, it's not going to be a surprise what he does, but how these running back could be not a mystery, but it's going to be finding the right word to put it. But how like you meant like how much they pass? We just don't know what catch. the committee's going to look like, basically. Yeah, we don't know who's going to be back there. Besides Parsons, we also don't know how, how much they get throw to the running backs because if it's a true run and shoot, they go five wide and running back may be a receiver. May, you know what I mean? They don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I with, think that um, and, I, and I think that that is also true of their pass catchers as well. Where mm-hmm. you know, again, this is a unit that is that is losing you know not some not in insignificant pieces you know turner jr was a major fact he was the team's leading receiver last year you know like i said he's gone nick mardner transferred to cincinnati jared smart is you know trying out for the nfl now so you know you look around and, and parson is actually their leading <laughs> returning receiver um Thanks. and and no one else on the team had more than 17 catches that was caleb phillips who had 17 receptions for 89 yards as a tight end and they have a tight end in the roster? Okay. Yeah, they, they used to tight end. I mean, you forget I you forget in that finale last year, they had Stephen Fiso had two catches for two touchdowns. No, I'm joking, because if joking, run and shoot, like the, I know they have a couple, but when you run and shoot tight ends usually it's just get Jimmy Graham tight end or some sort. But no, I know they got and, a couple. And so and so the challenge is sort of the same for the for the passing 
you know, group. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch because I went back again and I looked at what Shoemaker's offenses at Eastern Washington looked like over the past few years. And what I, what I found was sort of surprising, like, you know, the Eagles only had one thousand yard receiver last year, but they had four different guys with over 700 yards and six touchdowns. And then if you, if you go back, you know, before the, the COVID year to, to 2019 in his first year as an OC up there in Cheney, you know, the Eagles only had one player with 50 catches, but they had nine players with at least 20 catches, which is, which is endlessly mm-hmm. fascinating to me because I, I wonder exactly what that's going to mean for this group of pass catchers, because it's not as though the cupboard is totally bare. You know, yeah, Mardner, Smart, and Turner are all gone, but Zion Bowens is still around, and he has flashed some intriguing skills as sort of like a role player over the last couple of years. He only had 12 catches last year, but he went for over 21 yards a catch, um, and, and he did the same, you know, he had five catches in 2020 as well, but they went for 29 yards per, and, and he had two touchdowns that year. So, like, he seems like a really interesting potential big play guy who could step in and maybe be one of those outside receivers. The same thing with someone like Jonah Pinoke, who only had 11 catches last year, but was, you know, I would say maybe that, that sort of first next man up behind guys like Mardner and Smart last year. So I have to think that those two are likely to, to step up and maybe be the primary outside receivers. But then if you're a Hawaii offense, you need inside receivers too. You need guys who can play out of the slot. And, and then when you look at, when you look at, you know, other options, it's, it's basically a matter of, you know, asking guys who were, you know, sort of who played sparingly last year and the year before that to, to be much bigger contributors. So, so not only Bowens and Pinoke, but you know, also, also guys like Kuali Nishigaya and uh, yeah, Thomas. It's just like, we don't know. It may be, it's part, it's a cop out to say, well, we don't know. It is lame. It's like, well, we don't know who it's going to be. It's going to be somebody, but literally we don't know from who the guys lost new coach, new running back, kind of a new quarterback, most likely, I mean, basically a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. When they lose, like Calvin Turner Jr. was their second leading, or no, excuse me, in yards, second leading receiver, but he had 73 catches as a running back. Yeah, like if like, I had to wager a guess at like, you know, okay, let's say they come out on their first play against Vanderbilt and they go four wide. My best guess right now is that Bowens and Pinocchio are on the outside. And then yeah. you have, and then you have Kuali Nishigaya and you have Tamatoa Mokia Atamalala on the inside. Those are, those are your two primary <laughs> slot receivers. And then after that, then you kind of throw up your hands because again, they have options, but it's really hard to, to, to wager as far as, you know, who's going to step up. Is, are they going to you know give young guys a chance like Carson Punu or, you know, guys who've maybe been around a little bit longer, like James Green third, I would say, we're definitely going to find out. And also, you know, that tight end position is one that's maybe a little deeper than you might think too. Like Phillips is back, you know, and, and if he's a, a reliable red zone target, you know, he could maybe be that, I mean, dare I say a Cole Turner ask, you know, weapon in the red zone. Ooh. I don't know. But careful, maybe, careful. But I mean, I, like I said, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sort of throwing cops out there, really, but maybe that's something they could envision in this offense. Or, and if it's not him, maybe it's someone like Jordan Murray who transferred from Missouri state former freshman All-American who was, you know, the third leading receiver on that, on a Bears team that went to the FCS playoffs last year. Uh, or, you know, maybe they give Steven Fiso some more run after the way he finished in the Paniolo Trophy game last year. So 
you know, that, that right there, that's seven different players who could re who I would say are reasonable bets to see a lot of reps this year. And then beyond that, I would say it's probably also a safe bet that one or two other guys that, you know, it's really hard to forecast who they'll be right now, but that they will do what they need to do to find options to, to create mismatches for opposing defenses and, and keep them on their toes as a result. Yeah, it's, yeah, they'll have the guess. What, you know what's going to happen, man. Everybody's going to have the opportunity to play. Yeah, and, and that's what that's why I'm really interested in, in whether if it if it ends up looking like that, like I mentioned, that 2019 Eastern Washington team, where maybe they don't have one stud, but they've got like nine guys who eight or seven, eight, nine guys who can nickel and dime you for 10, 15, 20 yards catch. I also think too with the I know the older guys are inexperienced or not inexperienced, but like the catches, but guys, okay, it's kind of weird to say because they have a new coach and everything, but the guys who are playing have been around for three to four years already. Yes. So that, that's a good thing where, yes, it's new offense. So it's a little bit, obviously getting used to that, but these guys have played college football in some regard, whether like they haven't had a ton of receptions. These guys are all new guys coming into play, but they've been around the college football. You're not tossing a bunch of sophomores or redshirt freshmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play. So that's helpful too, where you get these guys, okay, I've been out there, played it. Now they're like, oh, it's my time to prove because Hawaii the past two to four years has had, like you mentioned, Jared, Jared Smart, all these guys out there catching the ball, 80, multiple guys with 80 catches, 1,000-yard receivers. They they kind of have known this is going to be their year. I know 2020 threw things around for how much they're going to play and whoever stays and goes and whatnot. But mm-hmm. these guys always probably kind of back of the mind, well, this year I'm number five, number four receiver. Now I'll be number three. Now this year I could be the number one or two something along, along those lines. So it's not like these guys have bad by any stretch. We don't know how good they'll be or how not good they'll be yeah. because they've been been behind some really, really good wide receivers and just haven't had a chance to play because they weren't as good as some really, really elite receivers on this team. And maybe they'll be the next guy who goes for 80 and 1200 yards and nine touchdowns. Something amazing. Or maybe they'll have three guys who go for 45 each and combine for 12 touchdowns. I don't know. Well, but okay. So, so let's, football, let's put it like this, you know, they, they, um, you know, like you kiss in point going back to Bowen's particular for a moment. Yeah. He only had 12 catches last year. 10 of those came in the three of the team's last four games. You know, he had three catches against San Diego state. And then he went off against Colorado state, you know, six catches for 172 and a touchdown. And then he had a, you know, one catch, but it was for 27 yards against Wyoming. And so the big play potential is there. And, and if I learned anything from watching film of Eastern Washington, it's that, you know, Shoemaker and Chang are going to find ways to put their quarterback in a position where they can take shots down the field. And, and if nothing else, I think that's what we all, what we all want to see out of a Hawaii offense. Yeah. And, and so, I think another thing that'll help too is the fact that, you know, one of the few position groups that isn't actually having to replace all that much is the offensive line. Yeah, that's helpful too. If you have that, it can help not cover, but it can help I guess it guess technically provide cover, but assist everywhere else because when they're bringing back what a couple starters, I believe. If I'm yeah, they're bringing back starters, they're bringing back uh, three three starters. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they yeah. they do have to replace Gene Pryor at right tackle. They have to replace Cole Lavau at center. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it seems like Maurice Taala is probably going to be the guy to replace Lavau in the middle. Uh, and then between the three returners that they have coming back, Il Manning, Micah Vanterpool, and Solo Bipulu tackles. Yeah. That's a tr- that's a trio of guys with over a hundred combined career starts, one hundred and three to be exact. And that's that's a huge deal. Like we talk about when you look at production returning, it's like okay, how good are your receiver snap counts. But there's a reason when you look at Bill Connolly's 
how the kind of um, rates production. Because if you go through, I don't have his list in front of me, but he breaks down not every yard and every tackle and every snap is equal. Yeah, so, like re- back returning production is, is weighed. I think I think uh, receiving yards is one of the major contributing factors to returning production. Yeah, uh, coincidentally enough, off, offensive line continuity is one of the things that doesn't matter the most. Oh, uh, I, was, oh, I, I remember, see, that's why I said that in front of me, but I will, I'll disagree a little bit. His numbers are fine. He does a great job, but it's, it, okay, it's not a bad thing, clearly. But the reason, because offensive continuity, okay, okay, what do you do? Okay, you don't allow sacks, which is amazing, but you still got to make, they don't, they're not making the plays. They're not scoring the points. Well, that's and, probably okay. the point he's getting at. So for this Warriors team, that's one of the major rubs is, you know, is, is going back to what is likely to be a very pass heavy offense going to help get them right in terms of pass protection, because that's one of the things that really fell off in the Ram years. You know, when you go back and look at 2019, you know, this was like, a, it was a top 40 unit in terms of like, you know, team sack rate. You know, it was, I believe it was 3.9% that year. Uh, last year it was 8%, which was a hundredth nationally. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's great to have experienced hands back, but is, is sort of getting, I don't want to call it getting back to basics, but getting back to what they were accustomed to, you know, under Rolovich in particular, is that going to be a step back in the right direction? I think that's going to be one of the major things. And the other thing is too, is yeah, we know that they have those, you know, veterans in the starting lineup, but we also don't know what that depth is going to look like. And they didn't have to shuffle through a lot of offensive line you know, unit sort of, yeah, I think they had four different starting lineups along the offensive line last year, but if they aren't as healthy this year, we don't know who those next guys are going to be that step up either. Like Taala seems like one guy who's likely to step into the starting role, but it's not necessarily clear who's going to, uh, you know, replace prior. And if any one of those guys is injured, you know, it's really hard to project like who those, you know, those sixth, seventh and eighth guys are going to be that step up in, into those roles. And so, that could be another one of those things. And, and like, it's hard to forecast and I don't like to sort of project injury luck too much into it, but that's definitely one of those things where, you know, trying to install a new offense with so many new pieces, that's one of those things that could frustrate and sort of derail the best laid plans pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's an area where it's, you're right. If it doesn't go well, oh crap. How many actually get in the game? It'd be Derek Carr back there at the Texans. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a, that's a pro or David Carr. Sorry. Wait. Yeah, David Carr, right? Is he the older one? Uh, Who's uh, David Carr, former Fresno State, Houston Texans. Derek Carr okay, is the David. older one. That's why I thought. I'm like, okay, hold on, wait, David. It's whatever. You don't want to do it. I lived. I lived both the Texans. I'm like, oh, who is the quarterback? Who got? Yeah. Where they took Tony Baselli in the uh, expansion draft when he was like a 38 year old offensive lineman with the first pick from the Jag Hall of Famer, but super old for the position. <laughs> I remember those dark days. Why football? You don't want your quarterback bouncing their head off the turf every other play exactly so but the experience there is good and and I always say it always starts up front the offensive line defensive line so if it protects the quarterback if they can produce numbers which they produce numbers past couple of years with this group with half this group playing so it's it's the start we're gonna have because learning a new offense learning new things only good things can happen if your line plays well if it plays bad look at boise prime example look at boise state where they have a lot of talent. How many offensive line changes did they have the past two seasons where Hank Bachmar gets crushed? He gets hit. He's not able to hand the ball off. The running back, I know George Fani was injured, but they couldn't be in sync or consistent. And so if an offensive line is like that, where you're 
putting in a new starting lineup the first six to eight weeks and you're rotating guys from right guard to left guard. Um, right tackle has to play left tackle because left tackle is out and the center has to play here because their hands hurt. So they have to play right guard because their snapping hand is broken or something like they broke the thumb or something, mm-hmm. but if they still can't block, they just can't snap the ball. Those are problems. Yeah. So if they could have the same lineup, even if it's not the best in the world, if it's the same, it's going to get better every week. And so that experience is the be- most experienced and the best they have on, their, on this offensive unit. Okay, so and- so let me ask you this then before we turn to the mm-hmm. defense. So Bill Connolly, like I, like I mentioned at the very top of the podcast, recently released his you know updated SP Plus projections. Mm-hmm. Right now, Hawaii's offense is projected 107. Okay. What do you think the likelihood is if they are, a, let's say, a top 80 offense this year? Mm-hmm. Likelihood, like, do you want a percentage? Like, like on a scale of one to 100. It's, it's got to be low, man. It's real low. That don't, if they're, what'd you say, they're 109 offense? Uh, they are projected 107th. And, and last, last year they were 82nd. No, they're not, they're not going to sniff that. No, they'll be lucky. I would put their best case like 90, in my opinion. I just, we don't know enough. And I just think with a new coach, all the transfers in and outs, it's everything stacked against them. I don't I think, think, I think that, even that is enough that to bad. make them pesky. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like they because you're talking, you're talking up. about an improvement of nearly 20 spots on the preseason projection. That's not nothing. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know I mean? You're telling me, but you ask, you're asking me to go almost 30 spots. No, no, that's not, I was just, I was being optimistic. I was, but, Best I, case but I think 90 cracking a hundred, I think is very realistic. Going to be interesting to follow either way. Yeah. If, if he brings back what they did when he played, They'll be obviously the late night, find the app, watch them play, go on Twitter with people who are out super late at 2 a.m. in the East Coast say, what's this football? Yeah. Yeah, we're watching my football late. We're here for this. Always. Defense time? Yeah, let's do it. So what do we got in defense here? When you look at kind of returning starters, they have – They have two. Correct here, oh, two. Sorry. I was going to say have... three, but no, two. Sorry. Two. Okay, well, you, you might have three. I counted Blessman to Allah on the defensive line and Panay Pavihi at linebacker. And that's pretty much it. Is it Hugh Nelson, a starter? He did start six games last year. So if you want to, okay. if you want to call it two and a half or three, I will, I will, I will. Okay. That. That's what I'm getting. I'm like, he started quite a handful of games. So I'm like, okay, so that's a, it's a concern, but here's what's um, again, we will get to non-conference and schedules. It's not super difficult who they play. And that's going to help the defense to a degree. But when they play, Fresno State, when they play San Diego State, when they play uh, Colorado State, Utah State, and you San Jose State. Well, maybe I'm wrong. There's more teams I thought. Sorry, I forgot who they played in the Mountain Division, but they'll be tested frequently. When they play Michigan, that'll be difficult. They play Western Kentucky, so it'll I'm throw my scenario out the window. For some reason, I think of something else. But only a couple starters back. Going up against teams that will move the ball in various ways. Aztec from the ball clearly. Rams, Bulldogs, Aggies, Spartans, Western Kentucky throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. So if we start up, I guess what what I don't have their SP plus numbers in front of me, unfortunately. What's the defense? I'm guessing it's not high. So the, the preseason projection on defense is 122nd. Oh, and there's only 131 teams, folks. Yes. So it's not good. And here's the thing: Hawaii's defense typically hasn't been great. They've had handfuls of guys here or there. They've had good schemes from coaches here and there. But again, whole new staff, new coordinators, new guys coming in from around. It's going to be 
it could be again. You mentioned say pesky on offense. This could be a quasi unknown because what film do they have to go after the defensive coordinator? Timmy Chang has no literal defensive pedigree to go off of unless he wants to do, or people look at Nevada and old Hawaii stuff. When he played, that's not really helpful. Yeah, I mean so that surprise it, factor it, could be a, to advantage for like two weeks. Yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be hard for for him and for Jacob Yoro, who I would say maybe has one of the tougher assignments going into 2022, just having to pull together so many new pieces, you know, other than Taala, like the entire front, you know, the entire front is going to be remade because, you know, Dewan Matthews is gone, you know, Justice Tavai yeah. is gone, Peter Tonga is gone, Jonah Laulu is gone, Ote Baker is gone. And, and, you know, this was a unit that, you know, it, it did some things maybe a little bit better than you might expect last year. Like, you know, in terms of average liner carries allowed, uh, you know, they were 29th nationally, you know, 2.47, and which yeah. is not nothing. And and by by uh you know by traditional terms, they were right around four yards per carry allowed, which is you know pretty pretty solid overall, all things considered. But again, you know, oh. other than other than Taala, who is who maybe one of the more underappreciated guys in the conference, you know, there aren't a lot of proven entities or even guys who saw a lot of playing time at, at any point over the last couple of years, like Andrew Choi. Had you know two and a half TFLs a couple of years ago, you know John Tui Tupo played a little bit down the stretch last year. Ezra Bamalo uh, played a little bit in the first few weeks. I think probably to hold on to his red shirt or something like that. <laughs> probably yeah. But again, you know, it's it's really hard to say with a lot of certainty like who's going to step up and 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 solidify a starting role. You know, because I would say you know there are other guys like you know Zach Rittner was on the depth chart you know at certain points last year. You know, that, that's four guys right there who could, who would, could reasonably be part of a rotation, but it's going to be really hard to forecast right now you know, who's going to be who's going to step up and be those guys. But I think you know one thing that is going to be really paramount for whoever does step up into those starting roles is you know those guys have to generate a pass rush because you know it's the same conversation we have in these team preview podcasts seemingly every year. Exactly. And and even with Darius Musau last year, this was still a defense that had a sack rate of only 4.5%, which was 111th nationally. So it was not great. And that's another one of those things where, you know, if they can't figure it out, you know, then I don't think, I think that's going to mean that teams, you know, even if they might be on paper a little more limited in terms of, you know, their ability to throw the ball, I think it's going to make them unafraid to take shots down the field and throw the ball against this defense. And so, you know, tall as a keeper, but other than that up front, it's really hard to say like, you know, how effective they're going to be, which is, makes it another one of those sort of X factors for, you know, if, if, if the defense can hold up its end of the bargain, at least a little bit, you know, the offense has a lot of optimism. The defense definitely has a lot of holes in it, a lot more question marks, I would say. I think with the defense, because what they're going to be uh, running or what they said they're going to be running, it's going to be a mixture of like a possible, like a three, three, five kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or they practice. Because they were running a four, two, five under, under Graham and Victor Santa Cruz the last couple of years. Yeah. So with your, your, it's like three, like in practice spring, it's like three man, four man, mm-hmm. potential three, three, five. So that defense gives a lot of flexibility as we've seen with, TCU with San Diego State with New Mexico with all these teams that run this type of defense where your linebacker or your fifth DB is kind of basically like a linebacker essentially mm-hmm. you can do both 
And so that gives them, okay, let's get an athlete out there who plays defense really good. He can run and cover. He can, we can blitz from the outside. He can do multiple things. That's it's scheme wise is where I think they're, like I mentioned, like they don't have a ton of film, especially with them switching defense, the diff, new defensive coordinator. What does he bring? Timmy Chang has no defensive history to go off of to see what he's done. So that area of have mixing in, okay, we're going to run this. You don't see this. We're going to, maybe they'll run a four, two, five sometimes. Maybe it'll be a three, three, five. Maybe they'll do a four, three normally. I mean, like they, with those options and creativity and just a unique style of defense with different looks. It could literally be like, I know a guy, we're guys playing in the NFL forever. He's like, he, he, he comes off arrogant. He's like, it's football's not hard. Like doing playing the NFL quarterback isn't hard, but that seems like ludicrous. What do you mean? It's not hard. He literally could run the same play out of eight formations and the defense doesn't know because it's the exact same play, but your receiver goes in motion here. You're tight. You have a tight end to have receiver. You have an extra running back or one fewer running backs here. Mm-hmm. So they could do that defense for, we're going to run the exact same play. You're blitzing. You're doing this. You're covering here, your zone, but they could have either a different look on defense. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge advantage when teams don't really know. And if he's good at scheming that way and these players don't tip off their hand, with that, because that's why offensive players put guys in motion to see who moves their head, see who slides with them, see who doesn't slide with them, see who takes a step forward or back. Yeah. And if the defense can hold their own and not have to do that, because that's a hard skill. There's like, oh crap, there's an extra receiver over here. After run, how many extra yards? Or do I should I go with him? Is that my do I am always on him no matter what? Those type of ways, if they can be done disciplined enough defensively. It won't solve every problem if they're not good, just physically and talent wise. Mm-hmm. But if a team, if it, it makes it simple for your guys playing defense, if you're the defensive end and you always know you're doing on this particular play, you're doing this, no matter what the formation you guys behind you are doing, or more specifically, a DB or linebacker, if you're, if you know you're blitzing every time, but oh, I'm in the middle, but I'm blitzing, oh, I'm on the outside, I'm blitzing. it doesn't matter because you're doing the exact same thing or doing the crossing blitz from the the X, whatever you call it, the cross from the linebacker yeah, yeah. go left and right. And with that, you know, I mean, cross, an X essentially. <clears throat> if you're blitzing the exact same way every time and going to the same spot on the field, that makes things easy. Just who cares what the play call is? I know I'm just lining up here on the side of the field. If I'm blabbering, but that's a way to make them where you're reacting, not thinking. And it's all, it's a lot of TBD with only two different back. But I think that's an area with scheme wise and different looks it will kind of screw with offensive coordinators. They may figure it out eventually, which they probably should, but that's one way where this an inexperienced defense can make strides and maybe be better than they their talent really is because they have a really good team. So I go back to, I know the guys on the round, but when Hawaii beat Nevada a couple years ago, they schemed very well. Mm-hmm. If you scheme well, you have a chance to win games or you're going to be closer to games. And they won that game by not allowing anything downfield to Romeo Dubs and Carson Strong passing that deep passer to anybody. Scheme works and you got to do both. If you have both, it's great. But if you have one that's better than the other, it's still good. You got to use, use them wisely. Mm-hmm. And TBD, but that I think that's a good plan they should do. So coaches, listen to me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. Like that's not like, that's a simple way. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's what my friend says. Like, but he does like, yeah, it's, it's not hard, but it, it's hard, but it's not like the physicality and playing. Like if you don't have talent, you're not good, but if you can make good plays, you're out there. You're mm-hmm. there. So what other position, like they, like you mentioned, they have like new nose tackle. They're moving guys around stuff like that. And they're putting guys defensive end. Like they have, who's it? Nose tackle. Bless me. Who yeah. 
is a good guy and he's going to be nose tackle. If he takes up space, that could free up the new defensive end guy and the, on the outside guys. It's he's it says here he can lift like deadlift like 400 pounds. Good for him. Awesome. Uh, that'd be cool if we could all do that. But that means he can knock your center on your butt and push people around. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this defense is going to be because it's usually not great. Their DBs, they've always had, it's where they've had like Cortez Davis. They've had Musau from last year. They've had guys who've been good at positions, but never really good overall. And that's kind of the next step they need to do. Maybe not this year, but down the road. Because that would, again, not stupid to say, that would make things awesome and great if you have multiple players who are really good. But it's kind of where like certain teams of defense, like you have this one great player, but why can't it help everybody else overall? That's kind of where maybe not having a superstar, it's dumb to say, could be helpful for this team. I don't know. I mean, what, what I'm here. what I'm interested in is, you know, with Musau gone, is is Yoro going to find ways to attack with his linebackers in the same way that he that, that they did with Musau over the last couple of years? Uh, because you know that was one thing that he was you know exceptional at. You know, he was the team leader in sacks last year with seven. You know, no one else had more than four. You know, the the only other linebacker that had more than one was Isaiah Dufaga, who I have to imagine is probably going to step up into that starting role opposite Pavihi. But, you know, both of those guys, you know, at least in terms of like pro football focus grades, which, you know, your mileage may vary as to how much credence you want to give it. (laughs) But, you know, Moosat was one of the best pass rushing linebackers in college football last year. And Tufaga and Pavihi were closer to fine. And so I'm really interested to see if they try and, and have one or both of those guys step up into that same kind of attacking role or whether they envision that unit as, as taking on a somewhat different, you know, res- different set of responsibilities. And if that's the case, then again, you know, then it, then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, who else can step up and be a contributor on that level too? Because, you know, having a couple of, of guys with starting experience is great, but you still need depth there too. And so, you know, th- I think that's where the transfer portal can be most interesting because, yeah, you know, they brought in, you know, uh, for example, a guy like Wyndon Hohuli, who was a four-star guy who originally committed to Nebraska, but he's a Hawaii native who decided to come home, play for the hometown program. And, you know, maybe he's a guy who steps up and becomes a role player in the same way that Tufaga was, you know, a year or two ago. Uh, you know, same with someone like Logan Taylor, who's coming from the, who came from the JUCO ranks, or, or Noah Kemma, came from Snow College in Utah or Steel Dubar came from Colorado. Like, you know, they've, they've brought in reinforcements, but, you know, not to, not to repeat myself too much, but that, you know, that question of depth is one that, you know, the linebackers are going to have to deal with as well. Especially since on the back end, you know, the, the entire defensive backfield is gone. <laughs> and, you, know, you mentioned Cortez Davis. He's, he's, I believe, with the Denver Broncos now. Um yep. You know, Cameron Lockers is, Lockers is with Fresno State. Kai Kanashiro is not even on the team anymore. Uh, you know, Eugene Ford graduated. Corey Bethley's at Arizona State now. Quentin Frazier graduated. Eugene, did I say Eugene Ford graduated? Um, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, anyway, he, he's gone. Like basically every major contributor other than Nelson II is, is gone from, from last year. And, and even some guys who were expected to, you know, step into some of those roles like Solo Turner you know, he recently entered the transfer portal as well. And so that I think is another, I don't want to call it a red flag just because we don't know exactly how well they're going to shore up for it. But one of the things that this defense did well last year is they were active about getting their hands on footballs in the passing game. 
know, they were second in the Mountain West with 14 interceptions, and they were second with 67 total passes defended. And and I'm really interested to see sort of how much that progresses because, you know, having Nelson as, you know, locking down one of those cornerback spots is fine, but who's going to step up elsewhere? You know, Ty Marsh saw a little bit of playing time, you know, here and there, same with Jalen Purdue. You know, Verdell Edwards looked pretty strong in the spring. Uh, you know, someone like Leonard Lee, who got kicked off the team, but came back and had a really strong spring game as well. You know, those are guys who could, you know, feasibly step up into those starting roles. But again, I'm going to repeat myself one more time. You know, these are guys who are going to be taking on much larger roles. And then they're going to also need guys, you know, to shore up the depth behind them. And we just don't know what that's going to look like yet. But I would say, you know, of all the questions that we've covered in this podcast to this point, mm-hmm. I think they're going to have the hardest time replacing how how active the secondary was over the last couple of years. And I think if there's one thing that is likely to hinder them the most, it is probably going to be that. Like it would not shock me if even you know average or below average offenses through the air are able to exploit this defense a little bit here and there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I think with the way, the way they play overall, like not just defense, think about defense, uh, assuming the offense, let's say, because we've seen run and shoot heavy pass offense where, like, again, I go back to my buddy who played in a, went to University of Utah back in the, when they were not good, back in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. They would score all the points. The defense, like, give us a break. He's like, man, their defense literally, Matt, number one in the country offense, defense last. They're like San Diego State to the extreme, opposite wise. Yeah. And the, the, he, the quarterback is like, dude, defense, do something. And defense is like, dude, quit scoring so quickly. We got to get a break here. And if this offense goes well, or if it doesn't, more importantly, if it doesn't go well, and they and we assume they're going to pass heavy and go, and there's a lot of three and outs, they go for it on fourth down. There's times when Nick Rolovich is there where a defense literally had a two-minute break from mm-hmm. by the time they got off the field after, I think it was the, didn't they play Navy a couple years ago to start the season? Or army or something. It was a few years ago they played Navy, I believe. Yeah. And I remember that game where it's like they go down. Navy clearly methodical, six, eight, 10, 12, 14 play mm-hmm. drives. Hawaii at one point, the defense gave up a big scoring drive. I don't recall what it was. Off goes up there three and out. They're back out again for another multiple minute, multi- double digit drive. It's like you got to help your defense out a little bit. And so, yeah. well, the off- and, it goes both ways. But well, I think here's, the offense- here's the other thing, too. Is like you know even for as as you know for all the good things that this that the defensive backfield did last year, they still struggled against good teams too. 
like you know, against FBS teams with a winning record. So like your, your, your Utah States and your Fresno States and your Nevadas and all that, you know, seven games altogether, they give up a, basically a 63% completion rate over eight yards per cat or per attempt rather. And, you know, basically a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. They were much better against struggling offenses and, and bad offenses than they were against above average ones. And that was with all the experience they had last year. And so that's why I'm thinking, you know, for all of the new faces that are coming into place, it's going to be really hard to replicate that. And I think, you know, like I said, it's one thing that I think they're really, that they could struggle with all season long as they're sort of just pulling things together. So do you, th- what's going to be better? Do you think the offense or the defense? This the year? offense. I, I'm leaning. Okay. <laughs> We're done. Right. Special teams. What do we got here? Let's move on. The well, the special, special teams mostly comes down to one guy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Matthew Shipley, who, you know, he, he didn't make the same kind of headlines that, that Matt Ariza did pulling double duty last year, but Nobody you know, he, did. but he was still a guy. He was 18 of 21 on field goal attempts, which was, uh, if, if memory serves better than Ariza. Um, and would, and he wasn't quite as effective as a punter. You know, he only averaged 41.5 yards per kick. But I think, you know, there's potential for growth because I think that was his first full year doing both jobs. And so, you know, they have other guys on the roster who might still, you know, play a role in that regard. Like, you know, Kyler Halverson handled kickoffs last year. You know, he might, you know, step up and, and maybe take on, take on one of those duties, if not, you know, it's, although it's hard to say with any certainty which one. But, you know, Shipley is one of those guys who can maybe a little bit underappreciated for what he was actually able to accomplish last year. And so I think special teams might not be like a, a massive strength of theirs, but I also don't think it's likely to be a major weakness either. Now, it'll be good. Like if you have experienced punter and kicker in college, that's helpful. Yeah. So, and they'll be great. So is it schedule time? Is that what we're let's, getting to? Let's now? do it. So we talked about their non-conference schedule briefly. So they open up, they have 13 games, obviously, because they always do. They typically host a couple of power five teams, one, sometimes two, because, you know, people like to vacation and, and or recruit in Hawaii when they get out to the That islands. is true. And it's always nice. So they open up with a very winnable Vanderbilt Commodore team, Saturday, August 27th, a week zero game, CBS Sports Network. Not super, not super late. Uh, It's a what's the 4 30 kick locally 10 30 eastern so it's yeah it's a 4 30 p.m kick so hey we'll get to see hawaii football mat with the sun out for at least yes. half the game that's a change usually it's like midnight eastern they play so they play vanderbilt who as we most people know vanderbilt football is um is bad the right way to put it matters or worse adjective than bad than for vanderbilt football well they they definitely had a lot of work to do in their first year under their new head coach clark lee um, but but let's not forget this team still beat Colorado State last year. Is that an accomplishment? Is that something you want to hang your hat on? I mean, if you're if you're year one and you're starting from the bottom in the SEC, yeah, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. You can beat a four, a three, three, whatever, a three and nine team, and call that a good victory for you. But I mean, I, I mean, I think I think it is safe to say though that you know it is still a long way from maybe even being so much as a bowl contender. Let's say. But, you know, they've got a couple quarterbacks, you know, Mike Wright and Ken Seals, who, you know, will probably battle throughout the fall to be that QB1. Uh, you know, Seals was the incumbent going into last year. I think he got hurt at some point, Wright finished out the year. And he he's definitely more of like a dual threat kind of guy. Um, so we'll kind of have to wait and see on that. 
But I think, you know, the upside if you're a Hawaii fan is that outside of their top receiver, Will Shepard, you know, he had 43 catches, 577 yards and four touchdowns last year. Not a lot to write home about otherwise. Um, they, they have a handful of starters back. So it's like, yeah. And, and they, and they have four or five, maybe. And they have more experience coming back on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they have, you know, a pair of, you know, pretty good linebackers in Anthony Orgy uh, and Michael Owusu who had 18 combined TFLs last year. They have Jalen Mahoney as a cornerback who had two sacks and two interceptions. Biggest problem from them last year uh, is that they had an even worse pass rush than Hawaii did. Oh boy. <laughs> 2.5% on the year, which was 129th nationally. And, and maybe some of that will, will sort of sort itself out because I think they were working into a four, three after being in a three, four for so long. So uh, you know, some, some transition to be made, but I'm sort of with you. I would be really shocked if Hawaii isn't able to put up some points on this Vanderbilt team. I expect them to win this game. I think they can as well. I know with Lee Clark Lee's like wanting more speed and stuff, but it's also him year two of the head coach. Like how much are those players going to play? Yeah. Cause there are probably what, what are the SP plus? I'm going to guess 90th or something. Does that sound about right? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but that's, that's fine. That sounds about right. I have, I have my Lindy's magazine. So They're 115th, actually. Oh boy. They have an 87 in Lindy's magazine here. I'm just kind of going through a couple stuff here for notes and rankings, and whatnot. But yeah, they, they don't have the speed. They don't have, it's a long Nashville to Honolulu. That's not, there's no direct flights, buddy. You're making at least one stop. Hopefully they get the, uh, they wonder if they go to Nashville, Atlanta to Hawaii. That would be long, one of those long Delta flights, but whew, that'd be brutal. It's it's a long flight. It's week zero game. It's it's a game that will be it'll be competitive because these two teams are probably in the same neighborhood of each other. Athletic wise, I'd say Vanderbilt might have a touch more. It's because if you're in the SEC, you're going to recruit better athletes regardless. Yeah, but they're not going to be amazing players. Mm-hmm. So I I think. Do we have, did Circa Sports have a line on this week? I forget. I know you tweeted that a while back. Did they have lines for this game? I believe they did. I don't have it in front of me though, so I couldn't tell you what it was. I, be- I believe I believe Vanderbilt was a favorite though. Does that surprise you if they're a favorite? Yes. <laughs> you're you're very blessed. so. What do you think the line should be if Hawaii's not the if Hawaii's like? What do you think? A, a, I mean, I guess I can understand why Vanderbilt should- would be a. Favorite? I th- if I remember correctly, I think they were like a ten or eleven point favorite. I would say it should be closer what? to like, like three or four points for for why, right? For for I mean, however you want to slice it, I don't know. It should be close. Like it should not. It be, should be closer. Yeah. It should be four, four points either way. Should be the most. Oh, here we go. I found. It. Hold on. Action Network has some lines here. It opened at minus six and a half for somebody. Hold on. Action Network has a couple. Of, oh, that's last year. Hold on. That was. They had the line lot. Action Network's weird. This is posted December 23rd last year, the opening line of somebody by six and a half. Currently, no, it still is. Oh, my bad. They changed the dates. It opened at six and a half at some point. And now it's my for Vanderbilt. Now it's minus two for Vanderbilt. I guess that'd go plus two for Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. I must have been thinking of a different line then. No, that's fine, but six and a half? But anyway, yeah. <laughs> hey, but okay, anyway, so- I've got that, I've got that as a as a Hawaii win. There's a handful that still say about a touchdown, but I'm over actually over because like the com- consensus and they have it about minus two, but all these other ones are sitting at like touchdown for Vanderbilt for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I need to uh, make a try- drive or text somebody to, Hey, 
give me some Hawaiian life beer. I want them. I huh. did put, uh, well, I don't need to discuss my other thing. I mentioned people, people don't care about my other stuff, but yeah, I think uh, it's Vanderbilt's not going to win. So Hawaii will start one to know. What do you think about the Western Kentucky game? Cause this game with that secondary being gone, that, that game could be get hairy in a quick, it quickly. It's at home. So that's a good thing. We don't know. It's probably it's most likely going to be a, uh, uh, spectrum pay-per-view game. And for us in the mainland and out, we have to Jerry rig to maybe get in our big screen TV. It's probably be a late night game. We don't know yet on Saturday, September 3rd. But Western Kentucky lost Billy Zappi, but they still have, they're still going to have the same offense. And this outside of Michigan is probably, it's going to be their most difficult game because of what the offense will do compared to what Hawaii's defense has coming back. Yeah. I mean, for the Hilltoppers, it's really hard to forecast exact. I mean, it's, it's easy to say like they'll, they'll carry over their success from the last year. They were the Conference USA runners up. I think they've won 10 games, if I'm not mistaken. And they beat, um, didn't they beat App State in the bowl? No, App State beat them. That's what it was. There's a shootout till halftime. App State came away, beat them by like two touchdowns. Yeah, but like you said, they're they're losing their record breaking quarterback. They're also losing their top two wide receivers. Jarrett Stearns mm-hmm. and Mitchell Tinsley are both gone. Oh, and their their OC is at Texas Tech now. I believe Zach Kitley. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, Texas Tech keep that offense going there. <laughs> so like you know they were they were that first sort of they, they were like the trendsetter that that. I would, I would imagine Colorado State tried to follow where they brought in so many pieces from, from Houston Baptist and then all those pieces are now scattered to the winds. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard to say with any certainty that they're going to be as potent on offense, but they did bring in Jarrett Dagey from West Virginia to be, I would presume the new quarterback, you know, they still have, you know, one of their leading receivers from last year, Daywood Davis, who averaged nearly 18 yards a catch. Um, and they have some interesting young defenders, but you know one of the problems for them is they're having to replace their their top overall defender, D'Angelo Malone. And you know without him, it's really hard to say with any confidence that they'll have much of a pass rush. Which you know it was in terms of like standard down sack rate, it was right around three percent last year, so it was not great. Uh, and they also didn't offer much resistance when it came to defending the run either. So it makes for, for a really interesting chess match, but. You know, if I'm thinking the, the the Hilltoppers offense is going to be good, if not necessarily record-breaking good, then I find it hard to think that Hawaii is going to be able to keep up with them on the scoreboard. So I think it's going to be an offense in which both off, or excuse me, a game in which both offenses have their way. But I actually have this one as a Hawaii loss, not by a ton, but it wouldn't surprise me if they lost by somewhere in the vicinity of like seven to ten points. There is a line in this game. Would you just like to take a guess? Is it like uh, Western Kentucky minus seven? Oh, you wish. West Kentucky 11 and a half point favorites. Okay, you know what? That actually sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, Western Kentucky, like they, 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 they probably won't be as strong as they were last year, but I would be very surprised if they fell off a cliff like they did a, couple, like they did a few years ago. Yeah, when Willie Tiger left, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was like after the Mike White years or something like that. Yeah, they, they so fell like off a cliff. They fell into some hard times, and then they pulled it together last year to to go shatter some offensive records. So, so yeah, so that that seems kind of that, high. That, I might. That's the kind of game though that, like, you know, as someone who loves like under the radar group of five versus group of five games, that's a game I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Like underrated, like because what? Imagine if this was in two. Well, I guess they'll play next year. I'm assuming a home and home of some sort mm-hmm. when Hawaii has things going and. Western Kentucky may have another quarterback who's, or same. I'm not sure what the guy from West Virginia eligibility wise is, but get Timmy Chain going next year. If they play out in there, wherever Western Kentucky plays out in the city is going to mention it, but 
they go play there. And that could be one of the more same pesky, interesting, not even not a, not a sicko football game, but a step above that where it's like, oh, this is going to be 40 to 33 goes down to the last possession when some team wins. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm leaning Western Kentucky. That 11 and a half seems a lot for me at this point. I could see Hawaii. It's still risky to take, but I'm I'm still not going to Western Kentucky. I'm like, I mean, sorry, I'm not going to Hawaii. I can't do it. Then they go to Michigan. These are all consecutive weeks. Go to the big house. And that's a Saturday game. Correct me. It's still Saturday. Big 10 network game. I thought, no, that's um, CSU with the morning game. So they go out to Michigan, made the playoff last year. Jim Harbaugh's surprisingly, Matt, not in the spotlight at all for the past year or so for being the weirdest college football coach out. There's other people who are taking that mantle. But he made the playoff last year. They'll be the contention for Big Ten. They are going to crush Hawaii. Probably gonna, is, probably going to be a pretty long afternoon. Is this going to be uh, worse than when Hawaii played Ohio State a couple years ago? I think it'll probably be in the neighborhood. I mean, I think here, here's the thing, because, you know, the, the, Michigan has most of their big offensive stars coming back. I think, uh, you know, Hassan Haskins is the lone exception, but Cade McNamara is back at quarterback. So is J.J. McCarthy. Uh, Ronnie Bell, if he's healthy, is one of the best big play receivers in the Big Ten. Um, and, and they made playoff without him last year. I think he got hurt in the Western Michigan game very early. Hey, but they lose uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Come on, there you go. He's back. They, okay, so, so they lose Hutchinson and they lose David Ajabo. You know, both yeah. of whom combined for 25 combined sacks last year. Who's next guy can get hooked that up and get close to there, right? So, so that's a question. Okay, so if Hawaii's going to hang around, it's it's because Michigan struggles to find an answer for that right away. Like, yeah. and, and if they get if they can get rid of the ball quickly and things like that, I mean, it, it's it's probably going to be a blowout loss for the Warriors. Yeah. But I think that's that's maybe something to keep an eye on. I'm guessing it's probably will, something we'll talk about further when we get to that point in week two or week three. Yeah, it, it'll just be maybe the first half. Like, so if I remember the Ohio State game, it was close for like the first 20 minutes or so. Yeah. And then it slowly – but Hawaii had like five yards offense total, but their defense was doing just enough to make it like seven to zero, something very low. Mm-hmm. So it might be something like that where, oh, they found some success here and there broken play or something to get a touchdown or something. But here's the thing. They play Colorado State the week before. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. They go CSU, Hawaii, UConn, and non-conference schedule is a joke. Come on, Michigan. What are you doing? Whatever. I don't care. All right. So um, now we go to choose a Duquesne. Who's up next? That is correct. FCS Duquesne. Um, do you know what city they're from? What state they're located in Matt? Do you know where Duquesne is? You know, I did all this research on the Dukes, and that's that's like one thing I didn't even think to look up. Are they in Ohio? I want to say. I thought they were in like Pennsylvania. I were so wrong. Like I just threw it out there. Like you probably looked at that to see where. I know they. I know they play in the Northeastern Conference, and I know that they were pretty good last year. They were. Well, then they're not in Ohio. Then oh, they they play in Pittsburgh. Okay. All right. And and they you know they were actually a pretty decent team last year. They were you know they, they got blown. They beat they Ohio. Got, yeah, they beat Ohio. And and other than blowing out or getting blown out by TCU, I think in their opener, they were yeah, pretty competitive all year long. Like they were only a game out of of winning the NEC title last year. The problem for them going into this game against Hawaii is you know they had four first team All Conference players last year, uh, including their top wide receiver and their top tackler. Uh, all four of those guys are gone now, though, mm. which might present something of a problem. 
but I think you know if, if Hawaii's going to watch out for anybody, you know they you know Duquesne does have a pretty solid quarterback in Darius Prantis, who completed I believe you know fifty nine percent of his passes last year, you know rock solid in conference play, and they also have one of the top runners in the conference in Billy Lucas, who you know ran for over seven hundred yards. I believe he was a tr- he was a freshman last year. It's pretty good. So he's probably going to be around for the next two or three years. He's probably going to be pretty good for them. I still think Hawaii should w- win this one pretty handily, though. They'll win. Their schedule is weird. They, they're for, five of their first six ro- games are on the road. Mm-hmm. They have only four home games. They go to Florida State week one. So maybe if you want to scout that on, it's a week zero game. So here's what you do. You watch a little bit of that. Then you get to the Hawaii game. I'm there you go. That's new. So watch a little bit of that because there's there's not many games. So there's a couple Mountain West games, but maybe kind of keep your eye on that ACC Network game. Youngstown State, good opponent. They, so they play some tough, like in FCS ranks, are obviously really good. So they play some tough opponents coming into that Hawaii game. So, but they also have a bye week in between. So there's that as well. But yeah, they, they should beat Duquesne. Like there should be no reason why you should struggle with FCS teams. Stop the running game's a big deal. That'll help with that defensive line, nose tackle, and all those guys, the 400 pound lift dudes. Like get them out of here. Yeah, beat Duquesne. It's a victory for me. Then they play New Mexico State next week on the road in Las Cruces. They actually they get a bye week in between. Is that correct? Uh, you know what? In my spreadsheet, I don't actually no, no bye week. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I did not either. I, I thought they no. They have a, they go to non conference and they go to league play. So they go to New Mexico State. TBA on game time and all that type of stuff will probably be flow sports again, most likely because they're not joining the. Con- they're not joining Conference USA for like another year or two. I forget exactly when. Yeah, yeah. But it's not not this year. So we've seen they didn't they wasn't last year the home and home, the rare home and home. That is correct. And Hawaii won both of them. And they should win this one too, right? They should. Which and it's oh. sort of it's sort of weird looking at this New Mexico State team because you know they're 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 starting over. You know Doug Martin as head coach is okay. out. Jerry Kill Jerry is Kill. in. And when you actually look at, you know, when you actually look at the roster, they had some pretty nice defensive performances last year. You know, they've got, you know, a pair of linebackers and Chris Ojo and Trevor Brohard who had 23 combined TFLs last year. So like they had some guys who could make plays, but then like you, you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture and only Duke gave up more 20 plus yard plays in, in the entire season. They gave up 84 plays of over 20 or more yards last year. Um, that's probably going to be a problem against an offense that figures to be able to, to create a few big plays of its own. And, and oh, by the way, the Aggies are also starting over on offense. So they have to replace their top running back, their top two wide receivers, and their quarterback. So chances are good, right? <laughs> so chances, I mean, and, and we'll, we'll talk about the Aggies more in length because they do play two other Mountain West teams this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Long story short, though, Hawaii should win this one too on the road. Yeah, there shouldn't be an issue. They're they're dead last in SP plus their bull odds, Bill Conley, 2% average win, win projection, 3%, three wins, sorry, not 3%, basically dead last offense and defense. So they are a team that, yeah, it's It's, it's an issue for them. There's still a uh, work in progress, clearly new head coach, all that type of stuff. So we'll see what they can do. Yeah. All right. Now they have a week off then they go to league play. We'll blast through these. Cause I, like we see every show, go listen to our team preview of this one. We'll give you a little snippet of what to expect or what Hawaii can do. And so, not, first off, non, non-conference play, you have it three and two, right? Correct? Yes. Beating Vanderbilt. We have the same Vanderbilt, Duquesne, New Mexico State wins, Western Kentucky, Michigan losses. They go to San Diego State, Snapdragon Stadium. That's a loss mm-hmm. for me, it's mostly because I know the Aztecs, new quarterback, new running back. 
but same coaches are there. They have experience at certain all these positions. Back defense always be good. It's just a team that um, clearly over the years they've been one of the best amount in the West, if not the best from time to time. Mm-hmm. And there's just too much talent. I don't unless Hawaii or excuse me, San Diego State does just screws the bed at quarterback and has nothing, and running back are just not even average. That's still probably not may not be enough for Hawaii to get a win. But mm-hmm. I don't. Do you foresee a way they could beat San Diego State on the road? I don't really see. Unless something really weird happens. So they only lost by a score last year, if memory serves. But, yeah. but I, I, I think even with the pieces that St. Diego State is replacing on defense, that it is it is probably likely to be like one of the one of those tougher games to watch if you're a Hawaii fan. I think that the Aztecs are gonna be in a good position to sort of grind them to a halt on offense. Yeah, it'll be it'll be tough. I don't I still think they can. The offense won't. This might be a seventeen to three game game or something because Aztecs offense might be better. But if things go good, it like it might be a low scoring game that way for a while. Yeah. So I have them beating Nevada, mostly because it's at home, and because Nevada, outside of what a couple of years ago, they haven't been able to win at Hawaii. Again, new Ken Wilson, new coach. New quarterback, likely Nate Cox. A lot of transfers out following Jay Norvell. Lost a couple of guys at San Jose State as well. Mm-hmm. Nevada's a point where it's like they're going to be near the bottom. Like this is a true year zero for them. Yeah. But I think these, these teams, it'll be a close game. I'm not, I, I think Hawaii wins because they're at home. And unless Ken Wilson brings that defense head from Oregon and other places, that's how they're going to get the win, just shutting down the Hawaii offense. So, so here, here's the thing, how I think we can keep it simple. And and I was thinking about this for conference play with Hawaii in particular. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about wins and losses. I thought to myself, who do I think this Hawaii team can outscore? And when it really came down to it, just Nevada. I, I saw no. I saw two teams. UNLV in Nevada. I mean, yeah, actually. <laughs> I know. Okay, good. I mean, I saw. I, I mean, I think there are a couple of others where if things break right, and especially if Hawaii can can you know make some defensive stops, that they might be able to spring another upset or two. Yeah. I think you know if you if you want to be generous and say like if they're hitting like the ninetieth percentile, I think they could be a threat to Wyoming, which we talked about it in their first preview podcast. I already have them pegged as a loss, um, and I think they could I think they could challenge other teams like San Jose State and Colorado State as well. Agree. But I have I have those as losses. The only two wins I have in conference play are Nevada and UNLV at home. I don't. I have Nevada. That's the only conference win I have because I'm thinking UNLV end of the year. I'm I'm kind of assuming maybe I'm preceding what we'll, when we talk about them later. I think UNLV is going to be better. Whether it's Cameron Freel, who was freshman of the year last season, he's the starting quarterback possibly. They lose a lot of this Char Williams and all. Yeah, a couple. Of I mean, guys. I mean, and that's not to say that I'm thinking it's like me thinking same old UNLV. We'll talk more oh, about the either. Rebels when we get there. Yeah, I mean, I want to like them more than it, more than I do. I just don't like Hawaii at all that much here. Unfortunately, I don't think with all the changes and loss of players, I know they got players in. I just, I think they could beat Nevada and UNLV. I think they're going to be better than last year, which won't take much to beat this year's Hawaii team. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like they could be like I, I'm in the same thing thinking of you. Can they beat UNLV? Yes, they could. Could they beat San Jose State? Maybe, but thinking of Shavon Cordier, Shavon Cordier coming home to Hawaii to play them in the season finale. No way he's gonna let that game get away. That he's game's on the road. Of- that game is in San Jose. Oh, it oh crap, it is. I thought I, oh dang it, there goes my it is. I oh, I put it down wrong. 
Boo. But what, regardless, point stands. Let me adjust my sheet here. Point stands. He's not going to let his old team beat him, right? And with that game being – I thought it was weird they had two home games back-to-back. But going back to the point, can they beat San Jose State? Possibly. Can they beat UNLV? Yes. Can they beat CSU? Yes. But being on the road at the Rams, difficult. Norvell's a good coach. No way they're beating Fresno State. No way they're beating Utah State. No, okay. I'm going to say no way they're beating Fresno. I'm going to say uh, maybe let's not forget last year's game. I, I know they beat Utah State last year. You think Blake Anderson's going to No, 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 no. I'm talking, about the, I'm talking about that Fresno State game. Oh. You come said, on, you, said to... you said no way they're beating Fresno State, but they beat them last year. I'm, I'm saying. I'm, just, they... I'm okay. just like, I mean, I mean you, you say that, and I'm like, <laughs> mm, okay. I'm, hey, okay. You know 20, 2022, this ain't happening. Come on. Okay. I, I get last year it happened, but I, I'm, I'm sticking with my guns on that. There's no way they're okay. beating Fresno State on the road. Jake Kaner to Jalen Cropper, that literally is the best offense to do in the conference, right? We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Oh, interesting. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll talk more about Fresno State later. Never say never. I'm, right? I'm, just, saying, I'm just saying that Hawaii, <laughs> Hawaii has, a, has the capacity to surprise. Okay, who are they surprising? Let's finish with this. Who are they surprising in non-conference play then? In non-conference play? I was gonna start, sorry, conference play. Apologies, conference play. If I had to pick the most likely upsets, I would say at Colorado State, if only because... I, if only because I see them as being roughly similar in terms of like, you know, offensive potential versus like, you know, defensive questions. Okay. And so like that, that seems like a very fun game. Same thing with like the Paniolo trophy. Like if, if Wyoming scuffles to, to find, you know, an offensive rhythm, you know, again, we saw this Hawaii team beat Wyoming just last year on the road, no yeah. less. And now they get them at home. And it's, it's yeah. so, so again, it's Hawaii is an interesting team because like you, you, I want to like their offensive potential and I'm sort of forecasting their, their wins and losses with that in mind, but I'm also sort of maybe hedging a little bit more because I have no idea what their defense is going to look like. And a super green head coach. Yeah. And, and that, that defense is likely to hold them back in a game or two that they might otherwise win. Which which is why I have them at five and eight and two and six overall. Okay, you have five eight. I have four and nine. So the game you're picking is CSU for the upset potential. I would say either at Colorado State or at home versus Wyoming. If I'm going more pure upset, I'd go Wyoming. I think CSU will be favored because it's at home and what Norville has done in his track record. And I, I, I would, and I would I would throw San Jose State in there as well on the road. Yeah, I, those are my. Th- um, out of the likely upsets, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think if I'm going to be a little more bold, I would go like, you know, bold and stupid. We do bold and dumb stuff all the time. Wyoming would be my pick because it's going to be at home. And also, why did you know Hawaii played out Wyoming past two years in a row? Yeah, that was one of the quirks <laughs> of the 2020 season. I know, it's weird. Yeah. But I think that would be, if I'm going to kind of be at, go out there in the lives, because I think CSU is winnable because we've already talked about new coach all stuff at San Jose State. I think Javon Cordero is going to show up his old team. But I think Wyoming, if I'm going to pick a higher level upset, that would be the hardest of those three. I'd go Wyoming because at home, they beat them last year, stuff like that. But this will be a team I'm at four and nine, only win, win is versus Nevada at home. But I could still see that if I'm going best case scenario, I think a bowl game is in the works with seven wins because I think they can maybe beat CSU. That put them at five. 
UNLV six and maybe San Jose State seven. And then Western Kentucky is kind of that same vein where maybe gain them. So there's a chance. So what would you put, put that there, chance at? Like 10, 15 percent? Yeah, between eight and ten percent. Okay. Somewhere about that range. Because I don't think they'd have to be at their best to beat all those teams. Like I'm not gonna say six wins get them to a bowl game because that's quirky because they're 13 games and whatnot, but I, I wouldn't super shock them if they get to seven. I wouldn't be over shocked if they get to seven, but they'd have to beat like the lowest teams on here. And it'd be the home game versus Western Kentucky, home game versus UNLV, and then one road game. They literally yeah, they'd have, have, to, they'd have to make hay at well, home, especially. Yeah, they'd have to basically go undefeated at home. They could only lose one game at home, maybe two. No, they could lose two at home, but they'd have to win at least one road game mm-hmm. in conference play. So not ideal, but. I don't think maybe we're doing, are we being too optimistic? Don't I mean, if you're, if you're talking about the bell curve, what you're talking about is like the 90th percentile. Yeah. I'm probably not. If I'm going like, if they're, well, I don't know. I, I'm at four, but I could, I could see them going to seven wins. I, I could see who they play and where they play because UNLV, maybe, maybe they don't get better. Maybe San Jose state go, take, does what they did last year. They weren't very good. CSU takes longer to get going. Wyoming's often struggles because it can struggle. And they have a new quarterback, and we'll get to all that. So yeah, let's put, let's put it this now. way. I'm excited to see this to have this team like take me deep yeah. into Saturday nights this fall. Sunday it's gonna be an interesting team. About? Yeah, that that too. <laughs> That's what we want to see. So I'm at four and nine, you're at five and eight. I have one conference win, but I think there is some optimistic upside with the head coach there, but it's clearly year zero. And if they get to like five or six wins at year zero, that's a really dang good year zero if that's the case. Yeah. So anything else to add for the Warriors fans out there? Are we ready to wrap this bad boy up? I think we're good to go. All right. MWR.com. All of our previews, our non-conference countdown, top 50s coming out, random previews, random new stuff coming out the next couple months during preseason play. So subscribe to our show. If you made it this far, you probably do. If not, hit the little button and say, yes, I would like more of these in your feed approximately once a week. So we'll check you next time. And we will put up a Twitter poll at MWC Wire. So you guys can vote and decide who we talk about next. So that's where we're, that's how it works here. It's, we're leaving it up to you guys to tell us who to talk about. And then we cram for like eight hours and figure it out essentially. Right, Matt? More or less. Yeah. More or less. So, all right. So we'll see you next time, folks. And have a good day whenever you listen to it.